0: Okay, so we're going to pick it up from the beginning of Daf Pecha Semir Aleph. The last thing we talked about was we had a stira, a seeming stira in the Mishnah. The Mishnah said that if a husband, let's say, knows about a nether, and he knows there's a concept of Hafaris nedarim, but he just doesn't know that this nether falls under that category, and let's say he hears about this on Monday, so Monday he hears there's a nether and he hears, and he knows that there's a concept of HaFar but he just doesn't think that this type of nether can be revoked. The halacha is, according to our mayor, he can't revoke the vow. Not on that day, and not on a later day when he finds out that he can. The reason being is because our mayor holds partial knowledge is not full knowledge. So you have 24 hours from the time that you hear about the nether, which is Monday, but, but you're only able to be made from the nether if you have full knowledge, partial knowledge, the Yom Shemot implies full knowledge, so because he doesn't have full knowledge, it's not considered revocable. Later, when he gets the information, it's too late because it already—it's it's like a weird thing where like the, the clock starts from the time that he hears about it with partial knowledge, but partial knowledge is not full knowledge regarding revoking. The Rabbanon, and including the Rabbana's of Yehuda, they feel that no partial knowledge is full knowledge. the The contradiction was when it comes to going into exile. We know that if you kill someone accidentally. You have to go into exile. And the Pusik says, Belei that you killed him without seeing him. So we said, Rabbi Me- Yehuda says, Pratlis that excludes a blind person, seemingly, the Gemara assumes, because a blind person doesn't have full knowledge. Rev Meir Oymer, Larabas' Meir, feels that a blind person does go to Gaulus. So the Gemara assumed, and that's how we ended it yesterday, the Gemara assumed that the machlekas or Meir of Yehuda, whether a blind person goes into Gaulus, is the following. A blind person has partial knowledge of the person he killed. He can't have full knowledge because he doesn't see him. It's partial knowledge. And the machleikus is whether partial knowledge is considered complete knowledge. Rav Meir feels regarding as partial knowledge is complete knowledge, which is not like HaTaraz nadarim, And Rav Yudal's partial knowledge is not complete knowledge, which is not like HaFaraz nadarim. So by nadarum, you have a machleikus or Rav Meir and of Yehuda, whether partial knowledge is complete knowledge. The Rav Meir feels it is not, and Rav Yudal feels that it is. But by Golis, it's the opposite. So the Gemara says, no, i Hacha de de The answer is no. The Machlaikis regarding Golis, whether a blind person goes to Golis, has nothing to do with whether you perceive partial knowledge as complete knowledge or not. It has nothing to do with that. The Machlechis is purely Drosha-based, meaning, Rabbi Yehuda is Darshan's from the past to exclude a blind person or mere darshins to include. But it has nothing to do with a larger Shiloh of whether... Partial knowledge is complete knowledge. That's not the Shailah at all. Let's go with her Siv, In the beginning of the Pasuk regarding inadvertent killing, it says, The killer went with the victim into a forest, which means, which means that the Pasuk is referring to any victim and any murderer that can go into the forest, which is, And a blind person can travel into the forest. So the beginning of the Parsha, includes a blind person, seemingly, because it says it applies to any person that can go into a forest. A blind person can go into a forest. So the beginning of the parasha is inclusive of a blind person. So if you have the beginning of the parasha which is including a blind person, must be to exclude. That's very simple. Meaning, what is the status quo? Meaning, the Machleks are made of you. that has nothing to do with partial knowledge, it's complete knowledge. It has to do with when the Pasuk B'le Royce, when that Pasuk comes regarding exile, what is the status quo up to that point? Rav the feels the beginning of the parasha is inclusive of a blind person because it's talking about going into a forest and a blind person going into a forest. B'le Royce is obviously not to include, it must be to exclude. Rav Meir Savark, Siv Belidas, the Pasuk in the beginning says that you killed without awareness. Which means kol davar miyeda, which means it implies that someone that could have awareness sumanal lav bari meidhu, and a blind person can't have full awareness. So Rameyer says, no, I think the beginning of the parasha is to exclude a blind person because it describes it as implying that the 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 victim that the um, that the the killer had knowledge, which implies didn't have full knowledge, which implies that he could have had full knowledge, which is exclusive. Of a blind person, therefore, if the partial starts off exclusive, which means that if the pasuk begins to exclude, must be include. So the machloekah has nothing to do with knowledge, partial knowledge, being complete knowledge. It has to do with whether is included because up to that point it's been excluding, or is excluding because up to the point it's been including. So it's, it's, it's unrelated. Okay. So Mishnah says like this. Let's say a person cuts off his son-in-law. He doesn't want his son-in-law to benefit from him. So his son-in-law can't benefit from him. But he wants to give his daughter a gift. The problem is, when you give your daughter a gift, we know that everything the wife has automatically goes to the husband. So what does he do if he wants to give? He wants to give his daughter money, but he doesn't want to go to her husband. So Arim he has to make two stipulations. He has to say, number one, First of all, you have to say, I'm giving you the gift and not your husband. Because if you don't say that, it's automatically assumed that you're giving it to the husband. So first of all, you have to say, your husband does not have permission to this gift. But number two, Number two, A, I'm giving you the money that it's it's for you and not for your husband. Number two, you should only acquire the the, the, the food The money and the food that you buy with it, I only want you to acquire it when you put it in your mouth. Meaning, you give her $100, you tell her, first of all, your husband doesn't have permission, it's not for your husband. And number two, the money that you're giving, it's still mine. When you go to the store and you buy challah with that money, that challah is still mine. It only becomes yours when you put it in your mouth. The reason being is because if you just give her the money and you say your husband shouldn't have permission to use it, but it's yours to do whatever whatever you wish. There's a sheet of Rav Meir. Rav Meir holds kol masha isha kana Rav Meir holds that automatically once a woman gets a gift, even if you stipulate otherwise, it automatically becomes the husband's. So that's the that's the view of our Mishnah. Therefore, in order to fix that, you have to say it's not yours until you put it in your mouth. Once you put it in your mouth, obviously it's not the husband's anymore because it's in the woman's body. So you have to say that. So first you have to say that the gift is for you and not for your husband. But then you also have to say that it's not yours until you put it in your mouth. Following the view of Rav Meir. So Amr Rav, Rav says, Lo Rav speaks it out. that He says that you see from this Mishnah that you have to say the second stipulation, which is that the food is only yours when it's in your mouth. But if you were to say to her, Masha tirtzi Do with the money whatever you wish the husband would automatically acquire it because this follows the shita of Rav Meir. Shmuel says no. Shmuel says no. Even if you say, do with whatever the money, whatever you want, the husband doesn't have rights to it because you said it shouldn't go to your husband. Who is Shmuel following? So the Rat explains, Shmuel and Rab are not arguing in interpreting the Mishnah. The Mishnah is very clear. You have to say both stipulations. Rab is saying, we follow our Mishnah, we pass him like Sh- like Rav Meir. Shmuel saying, no, I don't pass like Rameer, I pass me like the Rabbanon. Ramey Shita is, that automatically whatever the wife acquires goes to the husband. So even if you stipulate, I don't want your husband to have uh, permission, to have, to, uh, to have rights to it, it automatically goes to him, unless you say it's only yours when you put it in your mouth. Shmuel follows the Rabbanon, that we don't say, kane isha kane bayla, and Shmuel therefore would say, that as long as you stipulate that the gift is for the wife, that's enough. She could do whatever she wants. So Shmuel is following the Rabonan and Rav is following Rav Meir. Now, fine. So Maskifla of Ravzair, Esakasha, go to the next page. Keman the So Rav, who said that you have to make both stipulations, who did he follow? Ravmeir. Damriat He follows Rav Meir that. That whatever a wife acquires automatically goes to the husband. So the Gemara is a kasha. Or many. mini, I have a contradiction. You're telling me Rav Meir shita is ma'sha kanei shakana Here's the problem. We have a Stam Mishnah in Erevin and we know that a Stam Mishnah is Rav Meir. And we have a Mishnah in Erevin that implies that a wife could acquire something without her husband getting it. So it's a contradiction in Rav Meir. What does the Mishnah say? We know there's a concept called Shetufim Shatufi Shetufim means... That if you have a mavay, which is like a community drive, Chazal decreed that you are not able to carry unless you make what's called shetufei mavayis. Now, it's sort of what we would call Erevin. Now, Shatufe mavayis is basically where one person you take every oh, everyone donates food, they put in a, an area, and they say all of the basically it's it's allowing all the people to give their rights up to the courtyard. So what you end up doing is, let's say you have five house, five neighbors that share this one community drive, you can't carry in the community drive, no one's allowed to carry in the community drive because it looks like you're carrying in a public domain because you're carrying in an area that's owned by a lot of people. So what Chazal dictated is if each person gives food, contributes it, and puts it in one location, it's as if all the homes are giving up their rights to that location, it's as if it's owned by one homeowner. So technically the way to do that, again, okay, it's not for now to have a mechanism, but that's the concept. So technically the way to do that is each person has to give a little bit of challah. In order to make it easier, what Chazal said is like this, how do you do this practically? So So one person, instead of each person giving a bottle of wine, here's what you do. You have one guy take a barrel of wine with enough wine in it to cover each family. And he has in mind, he should sort of Give some of the wine to each person. So instead of each person giving a bottle of wine, one person will take a barrel and he'll be mezaket. He'll uh, he'll sort of give it to each family. l'chol He puts down the barrel of wine and he declares that this belongs to all the residents of the of the community. Now, in order to make it real, you can't just say it. Someone has to do a kinyan, which means let, let's say that I have four neighbors. So I have a barrel of wine. I want the wine to belong to each neighbor. So how do I make the transfer of ownership? So what I do is, I take a, a third party, I go to a guy, uh, a friend of mine, and I say, pick up the barrel of wine and have in mind that you're it kind of for each neighbor. Now, the only way for it to do that, for it to be effective, it has to be that the person who's acquiring the wine is not me. Right? If I own the wine, I can't make a Kenyan for someone else. Someone else has to make the kynion. So who should pick up the wine for me? I could use my non-Jewish, my non, uh, by my, my Jewish slaves. So I can go to my Jewish slave and say, pick up the barrel, have in mind all the neighbors, because they're a third party. Or I could use my adult children, sons and daughters above bar and bat mitzvah. They could acquire, because this opinion is over the, this uh, uh, Mishnah is under the assumption that boys and girls on, uh, above bar and bat mitzvah are not under the parents' jurisdiction. By the or through a wife, Oh, I could have my wife pick up the wine and have in mind to acquire for others. Vi amrit Now, if you say that Rav Meir holds that whatever a wife acquires automatically goes to the husband, so wait a minute. Again, I own the barrel of wine, so I have to try to give it over on behalf of all the residents of the community drive. I can't do that because I own the wine. So what do I do? Says the Misha, get your wife, get my wife to pick it up. The problem is my wife, according to her mayor, is like an extension of me. The second she picks up, it goes back to me. I need a third party to pick up the barrel. So if you say that a wife automatically, whatever she acquires, goes to the husband, then how could my wife acquire the wine for my neighbors? How does that work? The second she picks it up, it automatically goes back to the person who owns the wine. So Amr Ravah says the Yad Ravah says although Rav generally holds whatever wife acquires goes to her husband. Rav Meir agrees that when it comes to a ravin it's uh, the wife can acquire for the neighbors. Why? The because he wants to transfer ownership of the wine to the neighbors. by she's able to acquire it from the husband. Meaning. Rameer generally holds that whatever a wife acquires goes to the husband. But if the husband is giving the wife something, he has the ability to give it to her, sort of, like, remove himself. I Meaning, generally, if you give a wife something, according to Rav if if John gives, uh, you know, uh, 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 Rahul gives Leah a gift, Le- it automatically goes to Leah's husband. But if, if Leah's husband gives her a gift, that's his way of saying, I want you to have it, and I don't want to have anything to do with it so he's sort of recusing himself so therefore in the case of the wine generally yes whatever a wife acquires automatically goes to the husband but over here where the husband is giving her the wine and saying i want you to pick it up to ha- to have to have um, das for others then he's obviously recusing himself so he has the right to do so okay that's the explanation but we see over here that a wife can be used to acquire the wine for the residents of the community drive. Here's the problem. Esar, Ravina the following contradiction. The b'raisa says, who can uh, pick up the wine to acquire it? This is a different b'raisa. It says, it says, this b'risa says, you know who cannot use it, who cannot acquire the wine for their neighbors? Children under bar Mitzvah, so far so good. Non-Jewish slaves, so far so good, because they're not included in the parish of Arabin, or your wife. So we have a clear contradiction. One brisa, one Mishnah says that the wife could be used, but another t'anay, but the but the but the but the b'risa says that a wife Cannot be used. So just bechlal, can you use a wife? Can the husband give the wife, his own wife, the wine and say, I want you to acquire it for the neighbors? The Mishnah says yes, the B'raissah says no. So what's what's the explanation? The case of the Mishnah where she's able to acquire it is where she owns a home in the courtyard. She's not just living in his house. She happens to own, let's say there's five houses in the community drive. She happens to own one of the homes. So because... So because she has to, she's acquiring it for herself, then she's also able to acquire for others. Because she's acquiring a portion for herself, she's also acquiring for the neighbors as well. Meaning the case is where she has property that the husband doesn't have rights to. Either he gave it to her as a gift, or he wrote in the Ksuba, I'm not going to have rights to it, whatever it is. So she owns one of the homes. So when he gives her the barrel, she's acquiring it for herself on behalf of the land that she owns. So once she's acquiring it for herself, she could acquire it for others. When the bribes says that you cannot use a wife to acquire it for the neighbors, is where the wife is not a neighbor. It's a standard case where a husband and a wife live in the same home, and therefore she doesn't have any rights to acquire for others. So the Mishnah that says that she could is talking about a case where she has her own home. She already has, sort, so she's acquiring wine on behalf of herself, and then she's, once she's able to acquire it for herself, she's able to acquire it for others as well. That would be the explanation. All right, let's do the Mishnah, and then we'll stop. The Mishnah says... The Pasuk says that if a widow or a divorcee makes a nether, then the nether stands. Now, this is incredibly obvious because who would who would nullify the nether? Her husband, she's a widow or a divorcee. Her father, she's a widow or a divorcee, so she's not in her father's house because she's above 12 and a half. So why does the Pasuk have to tell you that there, that there's no one to nullify the vow? Of course there's no one to nullify the vow. So the Mishnah says, the case is, the Chiddush is as follows. I'll tell you outside of us, the see inside. the Chiddush is... She made the nether when she was not yet married. So let's say she was single, made the nether, and then got married when the nether would chal. So she made a nether to be chal in 30 days. Ketza says the Mishnah. Umrah, she said, nazir yom. She said, In 30 days I'll be a Nazira. So when she said it, she was a widow or a divorcee. Then, so she's, she's a widow. She says in 30 days, she makes a stipulation, makes a nedr, I'm going to be a nazir in 30 days. 15 days after the nazira, she gets married. So now, when the nazir is chal, she's married. So the question is, do we go by when she said the nazir, in which case she was single, or do you go by when the nazira is chal, she's married? The Mishnah says, we go by when the n- n- nedr was stated, when it was uttered, not when it was chal. Not when it was uh, 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 set, but when it was stated. And when it was stated, she was single. And by the way, so therefore, when it was stated, she was single, so no one can nullify. And then once she's married, we learned this before, a husband cannot nullify Nedarim that took place before she got married. So therefore, these Nedarim cannot be nullified because it goes by when it was stated. And when she said the ned- Nedar, she was single. It doesn't go by when it was Chal. Similarly, what about the opposite case? Let's say she made a nether when she's married. The husband revoked the vow right away. But again, the nether was supposed to be chal in 30 days. So she's married. She says, I'm going to be a nazira. that's going to start in 30 days. Instantly, the husband revokes the vow. Then, in 30 days, when the nazir was supposed to set, she's single. She became a widower, divorcee. Do we say that we go by when it was stated, in which case the husband revoked it? Do you say, no, it goes by when it was chal, at that point... She's single and the husband's revocation doesn't work. Again, the halacha is, we go by when it was stated in is chal. Okay. Uh, one last case. If a woman made a vow on the day that she got married. Okay. So she gets she made a vow that day that she got married, and then she gets divorced on that day, and then she gets married again to the same guy on that same day. So she marries a guy, makes a nether, divorces, then takes him back all within 24 hours. So can the husband revoke it? Because it's within 24 hours. He can't revoke it. Why? Because right now we go by when it was stated. And when it was stated, that was before this marriage took place. Again, a husband cannot revoke a vow that took place before the marriage. So she made the neder when she was married to Reuven. Then she gets divorced and then she remarries Reuven the same day. Reuven can no longer nullify it because this neder took place before this current marriage. It took place during the first marriage. As long as she was single for a moment, the husband cannot nullify vows that took place before the marriage. We'll stop here and pick it up tomorrow.